0: Hello and welcome to Real Bible Stories. Join us as we deep dive into the historical, religious, cultural, political, and emotional context surrounding the real lives of real people in the Bible and the stories we've all grown to love. I'm your host, Imran Ward. This is my wife, Selena. Hi. And our teacher, Ryan Brown. Hey, guys. So we're coming to you here from Palms Church here in the sunny, sunny Twenty Nine Palms, California. And uh, last week we talked about the birth narrative, birth narrative according to the Book of Luke. And so now we're going to shift gears a little bit and still talk about the birth of Jesus, but now we're going to talk about the star. And we're going to read from the Book of Matthew. So, uh, Selena, I'm going to hand it off to you.
1: Okay, so we're going to read from Matthew's chapter two, verses one through twelve. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way.
0: Okay, thank you, Selena. So, Ryan, last week we talked about uh, the shepherds. That knew to go to Migdal Eder, and I'm saying it right, right? You are Migdal Eder. Migdal Eder. They knew to go there to inspect uh, the Passover lamb. But when they got to Migdal Eder, it wasn't a lamb; it was it was a child, and they understood that to be uh, a sign. Yeah, the sign or or the Messiah, based off of the prophecy that they were tracking through the line of David and all that. So, but this week it's a whole. Uh, different perspective, almost like that part two, so now we're talking about a star in the night that is leading these magi or these uh wise men to uh the birthplace of Christ as well, and then also King Herod kind of playing a role in there too mm-hmm. so hand it off to you. Can you tell us more about this star
2: sure so um I would say one one big difference so last week in Luke, what we see is a um I guess you would say a progression um, or a, a, a movement or direction um, to and from grace, meaning um, there's kind of this motif, this idea that you're working for the grace um, before you hit Migdal Eater. And that, that was true of uh, Jacob and uh, when it was first established and, and, and David, all the way going through Christ. But then Migdal Eater kind of acted as that pivot to where um, you don't work for grace, you're actually working from. And what Christ did when he was born and what he came to accomplish was there to um, build us up from grace, not hit us with a a, um, desire for us to work for it, right?
0: And when you say from, you don't mean running away from grace. It's like you have grace and therefore
2: this is all the things
0: that happen after that. It is
2: from grace that your faith is founded, meaning um, that that. He's not saying you need to do all these things if you want to be able to get within um, communion with with God um, after being separated. You don't earn um, your your salvation. Um, what he instead says, um, and what I think McDowell Eder represented last week was that you're given that grace first, and it's from that that your faith is built upon. So mm-hmm. if, if if Luke kind of presents this direction movement of grace, what I would say Matthew emphasizes is the uh, the universality of it. Um, You know, the first time uh, I think we we taught this at the Bible study, I titled it A Star for the Gentiles, by the Gentiles, and of the Gentiles. Um, Because there's a... um, We'll see here in a second how the emphasis is, particularly within the context of Matthew and why it's there. But if I could just say, and she may kill me for even bringing it up, but um, our our last podcast, Selena, um, you're saying that when you you know, you're kinda of self critical of yourself. You were reading the um reading the text, you're like, man, my accent kinda really came out. Yeah. But I, I think and it's really in 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 um what's true of this study today, um, I think it, it feeds well about the universality of the of the gospel and that um the gospel in the church is so diverse. I think it's amazing, right? So um, I mean, you guys are American, obviously, but in terms of heritage and, and culture where we come from, different you
1: know, completely different. Yeah, I, you're
2: Miami, I'm from Denver. Um, you got the beaches, I got the snow, um, <laughs> somehow all ending up in a side broom closet in a church in Southern middle California, you know, high desert, you know, yeah, desert. Nowhere. You know what Thank I mean? You Marine Corps. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, but I think that there's a beauty in that, right? Like, um, you're Spanish, I mean, you're Caribbean, yeah, Caribbean descent, book. um, yeah. You know, so just just how you know the diversity of the gospel, um, you know, and I think that's one of the the main points that Matthew is going to be making is that, um, particularly for his audience in his time, is that the Jewish believers in particular were still trying to hold the gospel like it was theirs, and Mm -hmm. only for them, and Matthew's trying to push them and and make a point that the gospel is for everybody. Um, it, It is vastly diverse, both. Among Jew and Gentile, male, Gentiles female, free and slave, you know, it's it's universal to all.
0: Okay. Yeah. So I, my question was, didn't the Gentiles also think that to be the case, like um, that he was Jewish the Jewish God Jews. for the Jews, like, and and like in the Old Testament, like through through like God through the Jews did some pretty uh, incredible things too to a lot of the Gentile countries. So we
2: are going to talk about how, like today, particularly with this study, um, but we see this all throughout. I think our next podcast we're going to be doing, um, maybe getting into creation week, but what you see often is God uses our preconceived notion of belief to reach us, meaning we'll have some beliefs that are false. He'll use things with within that. He'll use that belief to draw us to him, to which he then corrects those beliefs, you know, um, and one piece with the Gentiles in particular is they were polytheistic,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, they they believed in multiple gods, so when, when, in terms of evangelism, um, you know, sending the gospel to them, they were almost, had softer hearts for it, in this, or they were more receptive of it because they were already open to the idea that there were a lot of gods. I see. Um... You know that there's a story in uh, the book of Acts where Paul um, is looking at all the different altars to all the different Roman gods, but then there's this one, in particular altar of the unnamed god, and you know he's like, you know, who, whose altar is that for? And um, they're like, well, that's for the the gods we don't know. And Paul says, well, let me introduce you to one.
0: Mm.
2: Let me introduce you to Jesus. And he uses you know those contexts to reach us. And then comp- in much of the whole Old Testament, you could really almost. I would say, summarized as a battle of the gods. It's, it's Yahweh showing his supremacy, not just over belief in, in in that sense, but over specific gods, not that those were real gods, but that in their perceived belief, he had to show them, um, you, you believe in the God Ra? Let me show you how Ra is nothing to me. Right. He had to build supremacy first. And, um, when it comes to the, um, the gospel, they're coming, they say, you know, in, in within the Roman Empire, the Jews had their God. And it's not that they maybe didn't believe that that God existed. They just, what was unique about the Jewish people is um, they only worshipped and believed that one God, right? So um, so with that, though, um, I, what I want to talk about today, though, is the star, because I think this is just a fun study, right? So okay. I, I think for a note as we get going and just really dive into it because this is kind of meant to be fun. Um, we're going to talk a lot about the star, but just know that this whole story really isn't about the star. Um, the star um, plays a, a key function to something much higher. So everything we talk about, whether you agree with my view or not, it, it's, it doesn't really matter. You have freedom, right, to to disagree. You have freedom to agree. Um, but it's not really about the star. But I think it's going to be fun. Because okay. I also think it's something that kind of, in one sense, it can almost be to people kind of one of those stories that I don't understand it, and it almost becomes a a roadblock sometimes to to kind of progress and dive really deep into the true power of, of nature of Matthew two and the story of of the wise men, you know, coming. So, so with that, um, does that make sense? Did, it does. Which just
0: promotes engagement because there's no right answers here. There are some definite wrong answers.
2: I I would say yeah. I mean, you you have to do it by your own conviction, right? So, so for for me, I study, I study, I study, and I know what I'm absolutely convinced of. You, but that doesn't But if you disagree with me, that doesn't mean. You're yeah, wrong. it arcs
0: back to our first episode where we talked about there. There are some things that are unmovable and unshakable. There are absolute truths about the faith, and then there are some things that are, to a certain degree, left up to interpretation, or there can be multiple interpretations, and we just have to acknowledge that.
2: There's and, a lot of depth and layer to, to to scripture that we just need to acknowledge.
0: Yeah, With and don't let that stuff separate um, like cre- God's church. Like, yeah,
2: create don't don't let it create disunity. Yeah. So, but I would say this: any interpretation you have, of the star there. There's probably I don't know about eight questions it needs to be able to answer, though. So, whatever your view is, just had just had a curiosity. What is your guys' view of the star? What is it? We'll start with you, Selena.
1: Um. Well, when I think of the star, it, um, usually I think of the North Star. I don't know specifically, like what kind of star it is um but you brought up something earlier
0: oh no oh the christmas tree
1: <laughs> yeah i was like oh okay that's the star from from christmas
0: oh you never put that together no <laughs> that, that's why we put stars <laughs> on our christmas trees
1: nope
0: <laughs> it's the top of the nativity scene yeah. and then you have the the rest of the nativity scene underneath it underneath
2: the tree so so you guys mm-hmm. are a star household not an angel household for the, for the top of the tree, we have a bow. Oh, a bow! You're we, a yeah, big we, bow. As, okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. So as a
0: couple, we've got a really nice like big bow that like goes up down the tree. But um, but that's like a recent thing in our in like culturally. But what, growing up, I had a star, like a light up star, and then we had a nativity scene on the top of the tree. It was like this glass oh, wow. and porcelain crazy thing my mom got, and so it had a star on it, and then there was like a Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus inside of this glass stuff. It was all It was super extra. I was very afraid that it would fall off the tree. Yeah, I would. Because that, we were very
2: mummunctious yeah. kids. That's, a, that's, a, <laughs> that'd give me anxiety as a parent.
1: Yeah. Also, yesterday we did watch the Christmas movie. Oh, Die, Die Hard. Hard. We did watch that. And Die we were Hard. discussing, like, yeah, that's a, a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie. Yeah. We got one. We got
2: her. <laughs> um, so, you know, many people, though, when they, when they look, oh, what's your oh, view of sorry, the star? Yeah. yeah. So,
0: my view of the star that I just, because now I was deliberately thinking about it, was um what I think would be interesting is if it was a legitimate star and we know stars are you know, balls of gas in space um and it was a a supernova that went off millions of years prior and and God timed it so that it would like that light would reach earth at the appropriate time that it would be seen in the sky to to lead the uh the wise men as they went to jesus but where that starts to fall apart is that supernovas last um, thousands or millions of, no, I think they last like thousands of years. Like, so you would be able to see the result of that supernova for thousands of years. Once that light did ultimately reach earth. So it was a, it was a thought in the beginning, but my, my uh, scientific method brain was just like, no, that wouldn't work. It has to be something, has to be something else.
2: Yeah. And and I, there's actually, that is a very common view um, I'd actually say a lot of the common explanations would be um, a super astronomical event, right? So supernova, some have suggested a comet, others have suggested a, uh, pla- a planet eclipse. Um, you know, so there's different, you know, in terms of the physical, natural world, you know, this is a astro- big astronomical event. I'm going to contend it was an astronomical event, but not the way you, you probably think. Um, other common explanations is they kind of make it a supernatural event, meaning, um, it's, it's either a, like an angel uh, presenting itself and that's what's leading the wise men or, um, some suggest that it's a, you know, the Shekinah glory of God is, is actually kind of piercing, like pierced a hole through heaven. And it's just, and and that's, that that's what's guiding the, the Magi. I, I feel like that there is some um, problems with all of those, though. Um, in particular, with the supernatural. If I could just, can we just talk about super sure. supernatural explanations for a second? Um, the thing that's hard about supernatural explanations is that when you're when, when you're speaking of a sovereign God who created everything. Where anything is possible, you can't ever just refute it. You know what I mean? Like you can't say, "Well, it didn't happen that way," because it could happen yeah. that way, yeah. right? So you don't. Um, it's very hard to make a definitive stance against. Is guess what I'm saying? But that doesn't nec- doesn't mean though that every event is, you know, a sup a supernatural event. And often, what I think people do, we like to go to a supernatural explanation. Um, one, like if we get an interpretation block, meaning we're, we're reading a piece of text, we don't really understand, you know, everything that's surrounding it, right? There's a lot of context that may be surrounding mm-hmm. that piece of text and because we don't know it, it makes the actual reading of the, the text we're reading just seem really odd and weird. So we go to a, a supernatural explanation, um, or a, a hyper spiritual explanation, and that kind of to explain it away, so okay. you get like interpretation block, and you just, well, you know, and, and it kind of starts going down this this rabbit hole.
0: I, I, I'm trying to remember what it's exactly called, but the word plot armor it pops into my head, and um, and like main character powers, like because that whenever, so I watch anime every once in a while, uh, ladies and gentlemen, but um. <laughs> when the main character is able to get out of some like incredibly dangerous or terrible situation where they definitely should have died um, or they manifest some ability in the moment where they, it seemed like they were going to die. It's like, Oh, well that's convenient. It's just because they're the main character. Right. It's like, it used to explain away. It's like, well, they were able to do it because they're the main character. Right. It's like, well, that's not actual good, uh good explanation.
2: Yeah. You know, so when, when you, yeah. And when you look <laughs> at things like the star, you know, I guess one of the hangups I have with, you know, the supernatural view, like should kind of. Um, glory or, or, or the angel, there's really a couple things. One, when you go to that explanation to, to fill it and then by putting that in there, you create, you generate kind of more questions and then in order to answer those other questions. So in other words, when you put that, when you fill that in, does it make clarity clear of everything else or does it generate more questions that then have to be filled with more, Supernatural, supernatural explanation. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. so for an example, okay, it's the Shekinah, or it's an angel. Well, why was it just the wise men who saw it? Look, well, God blinded the eyes of everybody else. You know, you're, you're... I was like, well, why would he do that? He could do that. Yeah, but... See, yeah, he could do that. Yeah, he yeah. could yeah. do that, except does the text say he did that? Which kind of gets into my second piece, is that there are these you know, big um, sensational events throughout, you know, human history that God does do. The thing about Scripture, though, is when he does them, it's very explicit and clear about it. Yeah. You know, so, you know, the, the splitting of the Red Sea, you it's know, very, it, it's, it's very, very clear. clear. And like East to wind, the
0: amount of, like, soldiers that perished. In, right. In some, East in some wind picked
2: up. It's split as if there was a wall on each side. Very, very specific. Um, there's a lot of other texts, though, that we make sensational that the text actually doesn't sensationalize. So, um, you know, we like to sensationalize text one for interpretation block. The, the other thing is, I mean, people just have a desire for sensationalism, you know? Um, I think often people could kind of almost get bored with, um, the sensation of, of everyday life, right? So, um, Maybe let's just kind of define, I guess, what it means for something to be sensational or supernatural. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, I think, um, you know, if you look at David Hume, for example, he was an atheistic uh, philosopher. And he had kind of defined the supernatural, um, the sensational miracles in particular, um, as really anything that is impossible. Right, so now think about this for a second. If if a miracle, if something supernatural is something that's impossible, but then a God acts supernaturally and you see it, is it now impossible? No, it becomes possible. Therefore, by his definition, it would never be a miracle. Therefore, miracles, supernatural, whatever doesn't exist. I take almost, not surprisingly, the almost exact opposite view. I take the view... Um, because I think it's actually more in line—not just with scripture, but really what we see in science—but um, both scripture and science kind of say the same thing about origin. Um, you mm-hmm. know, the Bible said, "You know, God created the world ex nihilo, out of nothing. There was nothing. God said,
0: and then there was something, and, and there
2: was something." Um, and science affirms that. You know, there was nothing. There was nothing. There was nothing. There was nothing. And then all of a sudden, there was everything. Yeah. And it's created a big problem for them if they're not believers right if they particularly if they're atheistic because you know if you just think of general mathematics 0 plus 0 plus 0 plus 0 you create you have this mathematical statement of just adding nothing to nothing
0: yeah
1: it's still going to be nothing
2: right at some point and then though a, something it just, had to
0: get inserted in
2: something had to get inserted into that sequence that created everything right yeah. but what that tells us though about in in terms of what is supernatural right something that goes above and beyond what what the the natural order of things that has God's created in His own ordained power is that the natural state of everything is actually nothing, right? In our natural state, nothing. It's dead. Everything, right? Or just does everything like it's dead implies it was once
0: alive? It's like it just isn't.
2: It isn't. So the fact that anything exists is supernatural, yeah. right? And and the reason. I say that is because a lot of people push back against the view I'm going to I'm going to talk about here in a second because they think that you're trying to naturalize a supernatural event. Um my question, I would just kind of inverse that a bit is maybe the problem is that we're trying to naturalize the supernatural, maybe we have failed to see how supernatural the natural is.
0: I I definitely run into that a lot with science, because when you you find out, like, oh, the force of gravity is X, Y, Z meters per second, I forget exactly what it is, but it's like it's consistent across the entire world, and that there's laws that govern how the planets move around the sun. There's laws that govern how the sun moves around the Milky Way. There's laws that govern how the Milky Way moves around around the the universe um, amongst the Uncountable amount of other galaxies, it's like we have been able to observe these um these rules. It's not random, it's not chaotic it's 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 repeatable um and we can predict where things are going to be in space and how things are going to grow, how long they're gonna live, and all this stuff like everything is so structured, but yet um we think that that's normal when nothing um is really that structured. Organically, like when you—no,
2: it's not. Yeah. It's really, and if you even look at, um you know, the law of entropy, where everything goes from order to disorder naturally. Now, just think about this for a second. Like in terms of a logical statement, if the natural if it's natural, the law of entropy is that everything goes from order to disorder. Then, at what point did it go from disorder to order?
0: Disorder, like when did you see what hey, I'm saying? When did like, a random group of carbon atoms? To, like determine themselves into a human being,
2: right? And, and which means at some point something had to go from disorder to order, and now it's reverting back from order to disorder, right? Entropy, yeah. which is what we observe, but that assumes that we started at a place that was ordered, and and I know we're kind of getting geeking out a little bit with that. We are, but um, but I love it. But yeah, I know. But the point though was <laughs> is, is that you know it's not that we're trying to naturalize you know a supernatural event. The point is that I think we fail to see how incredible just the basic laws of nature are. So to provide a basic law of nature as an explanation to something doesn't mean you're trying to cheapen it. If anything, it just, again, is a a greater testimony to the glory of God's design, as we'll see here in a second. You know, I I, I use this one sometimes, but um, one of my favorite authors of the 19th century is uh, G.K. Chesterton, I'm sorry, the 20th century, um, G.K. Chesterton. And he, he writes this boor, uh, in his book, Orthodoxy, there's a chapter about nursing, uh, nursery rhymes. Um, and he kind of poses the question. He says, why do children and even adults love um, fantasy, like stories? Um, you know, why, why do we like stories about two-foot elves fighting 10-foot giants um, over the Candyland forest?"
0: The entirety of the Hobbit, the entirety of the Lord of the Rings, right? Uh, why, Harry Potter. Is why a do people story. love
2: that though? And, and the th- and, and you would look at it and like, well, you look at Avatar. You know, people are like, well, it's just it's so absurd, but so beautiful. I'm like, well, what makes what makes it so beautiful? And really, what they're looking at is is not that it's more absurd, right? Like, why why is a two foot tall elf or a twenty foot tall giant? more absurd than a five foot 11 inch man. You know what I mean? Why, why, why is that more absurd? It's not more absurd. Um, it's just different. So what, what happens is a lot of those, when, when you like look into fantasy, what it exposes back in us is the natural awe that we once had for the real. When, when yeah. I start seeing, um, you know, when we talk about gumdrops falling from candy cane trees, well, why is that? Any different than, or more incredible than, sugarcane grown out of sugarcane tree? Yeah, you know I, what I'm saying. It's, like it's, it.
0: So, so what you're saying right now, um, I have heard talked about that transition from childhood to adulthood, because children have that like curiosity about the world, that inspiration about every little thing. Every little thing they do is a science experiment, because they just don't know the they rules have of the world awe
2: yet. For Reality,
0: Yeah. They jump in a pool of water. That's why they can play with a stick. incredible to them.
2: Yeah. They play with a stick for hours. You know, we adults, because we get so numb to it, to how incredible just the world is and how incredible God's creation is, we need things to entertain us. Right? So we, we get distracted in that. We're kids. They're experiencing all that for the first time. And, so I, I just, well, as a point, because I, I, I think we really more, need to get into the text, but we... I know, but
0: I wanted to toss one more thing out there, because you said that we get, we need entertainment and we get distracted by that, but that's not always the case. It's like when people take a second, they go into nature or they meditate or they just sit there and, and listen and really focus and try to shut off that internal voice that's in your head or that internal constant need that's in your head, it does become incredible again. You notice so much more stuff when you can just pause for a moment mm-hmm. sit and sit and really meditate on it.
2: Because the natural is supernatural. Yeah. Right? So um, natural explanations to things doesn't mean you're trying to cheapen the text. Um, I'd also say sometimes we like sensationalism because of just Christian art bias. We see a painting of some artist back in the 17th century, and it's just stuck in our head. And that's what we read into the text when we do it, right? Mm-hmm. But really, um, back to the star, because we've been going for a while, not even really, um The not star it's... itself. The star has, to, any interpretation of the star has to really answer these these questions, okay? First is the star was significant enough for the Magi to travel to greet the new king. Um, if you look at uh, verses one through two, um, it's not just they saw the star, but it was significant enough to get them to move, to take this really long journey from where they were. So the star is significant, right? It's, and it's obviously unique. There, there's something about the star gets them to move. The second one is that, um, any interpretation would have to answer this, which is the star was seen in the east from the east, and yet it somehow drove them west okay oh that 's interesting um you ever catch up on that first verse, uh, verse one it says that the wise men right they were in the east, they saw the star in the east,
0: and then but in relation west. to them
2: they went west to to israel
0: and it and it and it went before them it says like it led them.
2: It says it led them, right? Uh, We'll we'll get into some of the the technical language here in a second. But um, the other thing any interpretation has to answer is that the star led them to Jerusalem, not Bethlehem. So, and this is kind of like one of the supernatural things for me. Um, If it was an angel, like, did their GPS not update? You know, um, because the star led them to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. It's King Herod who actually leads them. Um, or or sent them them to to look in Bethlehem. Hmm. Um, The star didn't lead them to Bethlehem. It led them to Jerusalem. So any interpretation has to explain that. I would say, um, oh, the other one, uh, and this is why I kind of disregard pretty much any big spectacular astronomic event like a comet or an eclipse or a supernova, is that um, if you read verses uh, 3 and 7, what gets communicated is that only the Magi saw, and it was only the Magi who understood the star. So when the Magi show up to Jerusalem, King Herod is like, when did this happen? And it says that Herod and all of Jerusalem with them were puzzled. Now, if you have this big, massive comet in the sky, you know what I mean? People would be like, it's the end time." They would know exactly what they're talking about. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's, know, why that's
0: why that's happening? Oh, I was wondering why right. the sun hadn't gone down in three days.
2: They were clueless. They, were, they, they said... uh What star are you talking about? When did you see this? Twice. It emphasizes the point that only the Magi saw and understood the star, where everybody else was kind of lost in the the idea that there was this star out there. Um, The other thing is, um, your interpretation has to answer, the star has to communicate a birth. It also needs to communicate a king. So it says when they saw that star, that a king had been born. You see how they, they make that association? Um, but then lastly, um, the star appeared and reappeared to the Magi that ultimately guided them, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: they see it, it goes away, but then it reappears, and then it it, it leads them some more. So what is going on? Um, I do not hold a, a astro- spectacular astronomic event or a supernatural event explanation. I This is my view. um. I hold the Hellenistic astrology view, and I'm actually surprised there's actually many who more actually hold this view than I originally thought.
0: Can you walk me through every word that you just in that the Hellenistic astrology view like what is what is each part uh, of
2: Hel- I mean? Uh Greek astrology um so in terms of the historical context of it, um you know polytheistic Rome. They they believed that the heavenly hosts, right, that the sky, the stars, were there to be interpreted. So, um, it's the, the the stars themselves in the sky, um, as there to be interpreted, were based off the placement of constellations and and stars and um, planets. Which makes based, sense based because the, all those relations because the
0: Earth moves, it gives off the perception that the stars are moving throughout right. the year, throughout the sky. You see different stars at different times, so yeah, I could see and why they, they actually it, believe they would
2: that, that Earth was fixed and that everything revolved around, around that, right? Yeah. So they believed that the sky moved from it was kind of like a highway from east to west. So just mm-hmm. just keep that in mind for a second with the wise men, right? Because they saw it in the east, but it okay, but just oh, well, just hold oh, on for a second.
0: Oh, 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 I see where we're going.
2: But the sky looked from east, but it was there to be interpreted. Um, In Rome, though, every portion of the Roman Empire was given a constellation to represent itself. Okay? That's cool. So when um, Judea, for example, for the longest time, they actually thought fell under Pisces in Rome. But a lot of – I wouldn't say it's all that recent, but as of the 1990s, um, there's a couple of uh, archaeological finds that, that kind of help um, help them in this regard. But in uh, Ptolemy's book, uh, Tetra Biblos, um, Judea actually sh- shows up under Arius, um, coins found in Syria with Gunver uh, Quirinius, which is that really hard word you, you, know, you had to say last week in Luke 2, the governor mm-hmm. that Luke tells us. They found coins, and on the back end was a ram. Why that's significant is because the ram was the symbol of Arius. Well, why is that all? Well, it tells us that within Roman Hellenistic astrology, Judea was under, and all of Syria was under the Arius constellation for Hellenistic astrology interpretation. Okay? This was going to be pretty cool. It all makes sense here in a second. Um, But... Certain astronomical events though in relation to the sky though gave different horoscopes. So Okay. Um they called it star. Really what they're meaning meaning is planet. Stars are fixed in our sky. Right? The Milky Way always looks like the Milky Way. The um the those don't really while they'll move, they're they're kind of in fixed relation to each other. Yeah. But changes in the relation incredible
0: amount of time has to pass for us to perceive the stars moving right.
2: like but what we do see move often in relation to each other is the planets. Yep. yep. They didn't know they were planets. Pla- the word planet itself actually means floating star. So um, when you see the planets going around, they would look at Mercury, Venus, uh, Mars, and Jupiter, and they see where they are. But the big significance was Jupiter. Um, Jupiter um, gave you certain the big horoscopes, and what really gave it idea of its power was in relation to the moon so how how f- close is are these planets what constellation are they coming into what are the how close are they to the moon kind of shows how, how powerful this horoscope is right okay so just keep that in mind um so so that's how that was kind of their views and one of the things about the other thing about the superno uh the big super astronomical events is they had um Astronomical interpretations for those events. Rome did. Mm-hmm. You saw a supernova. You saw a comet. You saw um, one of those eclipses. Like they, that, that was a big deal to them. And usually, it was always something negative. So, um, for example, um, Vespasian's comet in, I want to say it was like seventy, yeah, seventy nine A.D. Um, or Julius Caesar's uh, comet in forty four B.C. Mm-hmm. There was these comets that came in the sky, and they called it Caesar's comet because he had just died, and mm-hmm. he said, "Oh, that's his spirit." going out, you know, to, to be with the gods, essentially, because he was a god himself, right? Uh, Vespasian um, had a comet come through, and they always associated, usually, though, comets with death. So in Julius Caesar's, he had died, and then the comet came, you know, association to death. Mm-hmm. Vespasian's, though, comes in, and he's not dead. And sometimes they it kind of become the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like, I see a comet, which means death, so then, that's like all the um, in terms of Roman politics, it would almost get the opposition to be like, "We saw the sign. Now is the time to kind of do our coup, right?" Okay. So, um, you know, Vespasian, what he did, he's like, "Actually, that doesn't apply to me. That that applies to the Parthian king because they had long hair. That's why there's long hair in the comet." And oh, my he was able to twist it around. Oh it just, my goodness! The, the point is, is that they would have never looked up and saw a comet or one of those big events. And said, "Ah, birth, birth. It wouldn't have been a natal horoscope." Yeah. So, what do we know then? What's going on? Um, the when you trace it back, like you were saying, we're able to do through mathematics and computer models, and we're able to be able to predict where they were. But we're also able to backtrack and know where, the, um, or, or we'll be able to predict where they will be. But we could also backtrack and predict where they were, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, as we backtrack to where it was, what we find is around the time of King Herod the Great, um, in about um, 6 BC, which places about the time, because uh, they've, they've shifted you know time a little bit. That's about the new date for the birth of Christ. Yeah. Um, what we find is that every planet was in the Arius constellation. Jupiter was eclipsed by the moon. For a time. Now remember, Jupiter being the big one in its relation to the moon, okay, shows its power. Usually, you know, it's just a little bit closer to the moon, and um, they could see it in relation, like, gives you that it's power. So something ridiculously
0: huge compared to every other planet.
2: So for it to be eclipsed by the moon, what that is communicating to a Hellenistic astrologer of that day would have been, like, something big just happened. And there was two that were, that it would have communicated a birth and a king. So they said, okay, a king is born, but not just that a king is born, but that there is, um, this king who's being born is power. Like one of the most powerful horoscopes you could have ever received in the history. Um, that, that horoscope going all the way back to, to six BC when that, when that occurred, um, hadn't happened for, Ever, um, and documented that in terms of how long they had been tracking it, um, it hasn't happened since, and they were saying it probably won't happen for again for another 12,000 years. I mean, in, in terms Jeez. of the rarity of that horoscope that occurred then, so, um, that's interesting, but you know, what about Matthew though? I mean, is that what you know, what's Matthew trying to paint? What's really interesting. Is the language Matthew uses that, as it gets transliterated into um, to English, we kind of we kind of lose it uh, or lose its significance? But um, the term in the East, so you see that at the very beginning um, in the East, uh, what we missed is actually the Greek phrase "ente anatole. and that um, phrase is an astronomy phrase for their time. Um, that's something that's very significant to astrologers uh, Astrologers then. Okay. Um, in, in modern astronomy, it's called the um, helical rising. And essentially what it is, is it's the point in time in the season where you see a planet kind of break the horizon in the eclipse of the sun. So it gets, you know, it's night. Okay. And you see it kind of break the plane. You're like, oh, it's back, right? Okay. It's called the helical rising. Um, they called it on its rising or depending on what Bible version you're using, you'll actually not see it say uh, it won't read in the East. It'll read on its rising. So it breaks that on its rising, right? It's breaking. It's, it's colloquial rising is occurring in the East. Okay. And remember they think that everything travels the from the east, east to, east to, to west. west. So um, to them, when it says that they saw his star in the East, what they're saying is it was on its rising, and what it did is when it came in, they saw it came into the Aries constellation in relation to the moon, right? When it disappears, though, it makes sense because it would have went behind and got eclipsed by the moon as it continued through and then it reappears. You see what I'm saying? So when yeah. it says that the star had reappeared to him, it's when it's breaking the plane of its um, eclipse by the moon. But Matthew uses another astro- uh, astronomy term. He uses the term stood over, um, when it says that the star came and stood over the place where the baby was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think actually, Selena, your, uh, your translation had said something different. I don't think it said stood over. I think it said came to rest maybe.
1: Do you know what verse that was?
2: Oh, gosh. You would think I would have it would open in front of me. It's, it's all right. Well, the, the point is is that when it says that the star came and stood over the place where the baby was, um, that's what the Greek there is called the Apano. That's also an astrologically significant term in Matthew's day or within the Rome. Um the Aponel refers to the point where the star stops moving in the sky. So, you know, this whole time it's moving on its helico rising in the east, moving west, at some point it stops. And it kind of just sits there for a bit, and then it turns back around and shoots off out of the night sky again. Right? So it's just, you know, depending on and
0: that does that come from the the Earth's rotation as it moves along its orbit, countered by the by Jupiter's own orbit. So like it's well, it's going to be different every time. It
2: depends on where we are in relation to everything, where Jupiter is in relation to where the moon is, so everything. Right. So it's going to look different. Comes in, kind of hangs there for a bit, and then it'll start slowly moving. Its way out, moving, making its way out. Right. So the a, ran- point,
0: a random other point is that. If you haven't ever gotten like an astrology uh, uh, map or calculator on your phone, you can you can do these sorts of calculations pretty pretty easily. Like just because you, you can point it up, it's like a VR or AR app, and it'll show you where things are in the sky, where the planets are, and you can see how they move so much more quickly and so much more and so much different, more differently compared to everything else in the night sky. Right, it's, it's always different. And they're way brighter than everything else in the night sky. Right,
2: so. So the point is this: is that when it says that it came and stood over where the baby was, and then shot back out when it came and stood above, it was the portion of Judea of where it rested, yeah. and then it had its uh, pano, and then it went went away, right? So it so the um, the magi knew that okay, not only is this natal horoscope of a king um, and and somebody was born, but this this king is powerful, and that. Powerful king is in Judea, okay. So then, why did they go to Jerusalem and not Bethlehem? How did the star lead them to Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem was the capital. If a king was born, to be in you go capital. to the palace, which is exactly where they went. They went to King Herod. You see, does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, I just want to make sure that I answered all those. Um, I guess
0: that's a fair point because um, it, following this this logic, it wouldn't make sense for them to. End up at Migdal Eater, End up at like that specific exact point because, um, it would be so high up, and so like far away. Like by the time they reached the area of Bethlehem, the area of um Judea, it would, it would just look like it's hanging over the whole area. It's That's like okay, well now what? I guess we start at the palace, and then they, you know, and, and remember,
2: so they show up to the palace. Now King Herod's scared to death. Remember, King Herod is a usurper king. So any sort of... Um, like threat to his power? Threat to mm-hmm. his opposition, he goes and says, king has been born, that's when he gets his scribes, and they said, well, we were... There is, um, you know, the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And this just shows, you know, Herod's heart is that he, instead of being repentant, like having an excitement of his Jewish mother's uh, promises of... That's hey, true, because he I'm is
0: a, also a Jew. Half-Jew. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, so.
2: sen- in the sense that... Um, his mother Coltry was a Jew. His father was not.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't don't think he was really all that much of a practicing. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, but um, that but, absolute but power he was, absolutely. But he, yeah, he he was he was known for being pretty ruthless. And the fact that he thought that maybe a Messiah could have potentially been born that would usurp him on the throne. Um, that's when he sends all the babies to get killed. Right. That's the next narrative in Matthew. So, um, you know, Matthew had. Uh, Herod had a a reputation for that, but the other thing that was always, um, they said they came to anoint him, you know, depending on where he was in the East, people always try to figure out, well, who in the East was it? I mean, it doesn't really say, um, but some said if it was Persia, what Persia would do would send magi ahead to anoint a new king ahead of an invasion. So something that maybe Herod's freaking out and trying to prepare for an invasion. Really, I think it's more about being usurped, but I actually have a different, um, I think it's even deeper than that. Um, I want to just really quick. Why does, um, why does Matthew include this though? This whole narrative is this, is this a, um, is this okay? then to to practice astrology and horoscopes. And this is a very real thing because many Christians and believers do this today and it's complete heresy and it's anti-biblical. The law is very clear. Scripture is very clear. Do not practice astrology. But then yet we see this astrological play in Genesis two, or um, excuse me, uh, Matthew two, where he seems to be using it right now. Just real quick about the natural piece of sensationalism. Um. Well, that is, it, it explains, right? Like, there's this star in the sky, but Jews were told not to practice astrology, so they were aware of the sky, but they wouldn't have noticed the place. I mean, do you? Do you, you look out outside and notice, hey, you know, Jupiter seems to be a little different this year. You know what I mean? Where is Jupiter? Like, do you guys start buying? You know what I'm saying? It's the same with them. They looked at the sky. They noticed the sky, but they wouldn't have noticed that. Yeah, o- only somebody studying stars would have recognized this horoscope, right? Um, so they weren't practicing. That's how they didn't also didn't know. They, they're like, what star, what are you talking about? Um, that they weren't aware of it. Right. Yeah. But it's almost like a, a, that's why they didn't see it. But, um, but then why, if, if it's against the law, why is it included? Why does Matthew include it? And, and it's, there's really two things with this. Um, there's two prophecies in particular. Matthew's trying to pair in because a big theme of Matthew is trying to explain to the Gentiles, or explain to the the Jewish believers that it's okay to go to the Gentiles, bring the gospel to the Gentiles, break bread, um, the gospels for for all, right? Um, All are welcome in to the family of God. Um, And what he's trying to explain to them is that if God didn't care for the Gentiles, then why did he announce it a Gentile way? See what I'm saying? That's kind of a point that Matthew's trying to make. But he even... um, it gets even deeper than that. If you were to go to Numbers chapter twenty four, there is a um, a, uh, a prophecy that's given from Balaam. Y'all don't remember the story of Balak and Balaam? I do not. Um, so Balaam was the prophet for hire. King Balak hired him to speak curses against Israel as they were coming through conquering. Um, you know they're in the, the wilderness mm-hmm. and you know before really going into um, um, crossing the Jordan. So he hires this this prophet, Balaam, um, to speak against Israel, and then Balaam cannot curse but rather blesses Israel. Um, But then he also, in one of those blessings, makes this prophecy, and this is where we get the whole prophecy of the star. Um, He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. And by the way, this is Numbers 24, uh, verses 17 through 19. It says, I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, Judea. Okay? Mm -hmm. Jacob, Judea, that's their um, a star will come out of Jacob a scepter will rise out of Israel Okay, royalty he will crush the foreheads of Moab he will crush uh, the, the skulls of all the people of Sheth Edom will be conquered Seir his enemy will be conquered but Israel will grow strong and a ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of that city so here's what's really interesting about it one, there is a Prophecy made about a star, a king, but do you know you also notice how it's dis- discussing the, the the destruction of Moab and uh, Edom. Mm-hmm. Where was King Herod from? Oh, Moab, yeah, Moab and Edom. Yeah, he that's, was an Edomite from Moab. So when he when he sees also them showing up talking about this star, um, that means a powerful king's been born, and he's now he's looking at his Jewish scribes and saying, "Well, where would this happen?" Like well, um, you know, Adam Micah is supposed to go to Bethlehem, and he sends him to Bethlehem. You know, does the text doesn't the text doesn't say it, but I'm almost very certain though that those same Jewish scribes would have came to him and said, "But we also have the prophecy of Balaam about a star and the scepter that's going to rise out and how it's going to crush Moab and Edom." So you see how Herod's like... It's like, and sir, I'm sorry to let you
0: know that uh, you're from both of those places. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think they're talking about you.
2: (laughs) And and Herod's like, "Uh, go find that baby and kill him. Which goes into that next narrative, which is a whole other thing. But um, but here's the other thing that we miss, though, about that story with Balaam and Balak. Is that he was a hired prophet, sure, but he was a Gentile prophet. He wasn't Jewish. Mm. So here we have a a revelation given to a Gentile making a prophecy about a star that was communicated in
0: the Torah too.
2: Right. Which is there to communicate um, or, or was used to communicate to the Gentiles in a very Gentile way. That was not the Jewish way, right? We saw the Jewish announcement the way last week in, in the gospel of Luke, mm-hmm. this is the Gentile announcement. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So he's taking a Gentile prophecy, announcing it a Gentile way. But then the last thing, though, he also demonstrates, though, is with the Magi is a fulfillment of Isaiah sixty verses one through six. He says the nations will come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your radiance. So he's talking about light and radiance, and um, some of those same elements. They will carry gold and frankincense. But this is kind of like a, and this is what. Um, you know, you read, they gave him gold, frankincense, and what? And myrrh. Myrrh, right? Now, here's what's kind of cool, and I know we gotta, we kind of kind of wrap this up, but um, gold was annotated for royalty. You'd give gold to royalty, right? Kings, frankincense is what you would burn, like, at the temple and for prayer. So that kind of paints to the, um, Christ as the high priest as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, a king has been born, but almost like a priest has been born a a man of, um, you know, piety has been born right. in in their view, but then the third is myrrh. You know what you would use myrrh for? I believe it's a perfume, a very expensive perfume, but what would you, you know what you would use it for though? Dead bodies. It's what the rich would use to lather the dead body to, to hide the stench. So it's also prophetic of his death. Okay. That's, that's, those are the three gifts that the, the wise men come and give him. But notice how in Isaiah 60, though, in that prophecy, how it paints those. He says, they will carry gold and frankincense. Okay, got those two right. That's Those are in Matthew, gold and frankincense. But then the third gift is what? In proclaiming the praises of the Lord. So in Isaiah 60, the praises of the Lord is replaced in Matthew as what? Myrrh, as myrrh. which is representative of death. In other words, the praises of God, the praises of Yahweh, is going to be the death of his Son to glorify himself and bring the redemption and salvation of the world. Um, So Matthew very brilliantly first communicates that God cares for the Gentiles because he uh, fulfilled a Gentile prophecy, a Gentile way for the Gentiles. So Jewish believers, go to the Gentiles as Christ told us to, um, in the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. But secondly, also understand Matthew's communicating, it's those same Gentile kings that not only came to worship and bow down, meaning that they're open and able to do it, um, but they gave these gifts, and he um, presented a revelation that he was royalty, he, he, he would be the, the high priest, um, but that ultimately he would also die there to bring the praises of the Lord, which would also come from through Rome. The death. You see what I'm saying? So there's a lot of this motif in Matthew of underneathing about the relationship between the Gentiles and the gospel. You're saying they play a huge part in it um, for it is through the Gentiles that um, death will ultimately come in the sense that Rome is the one who's going to crucify him. But God also announced it Mm -hmm. to the Gentiles. And well, that that seems very um, non-sensational. I mean, to me... You're talking about, I mean, you know, years and years and years, and you know, that creation really setting up all, all the laws things. of the universe yep. to the point where, at the point Christ is born, all those planets and stars align in a in a way that makes the most powerful horoscope in the history of Hellenistic astrology. Um, it, it, sorry, I'll let you finish. No, go, go no, go, please.
0: Um, because I I wanted to tie it all into and just say that something like that for a God that exists outside of time and can, and observes all time at all time, uh, that is not, when you think of it that way, that's not hard to set up and that's not hard to do because if you know where everything is going and where it comes from, it's quite easy to place things in a particular order. Mm-hmm. And we, um don't really think about God in that way all the time. It's like, I hope God will do this. I hope God will do that. It's like, God knew what he was going to do before you even knew that you were you, let alone knew that you needed
2: it. Um, And so, and he announces it your way. And yeah. I, I want that's the point I want to make. Um, cause for some reason I, I don't, I don't know what the modern obsession is with horoscopes and doing all that nonsense. Um, well everyone wants to believe in something. I, but Christians though. I, I don't understand why believers. Oh, that's a fair point. Think they need it and think that they that it's acceptable. Um you know, and but but I think one of the beauties though that you you read here though in my view, right? Now some people may not agree with my Hellenistic astrology view. Um but from that view from and, and from my perspective though, what's beautiful about it is that God reached them their way. He's not endorsing it, but he reached them their way. You know, just as for any one of us, we were living in a life of sin, God didn't endorse our sin, but he often used our sin and used some of our beliefs about and perspectives about the world that are probably completely different and reshaped now than they were then, but he used that to draw us to himself in, in that pursuit, This, this... And, and he does it universally. That's that's one of the points Matthew's making, right? It's not just the Jews God God loves. It's also the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, that, that's why I was saying the diversity, right, that we were talking about earlier. Because um, I think we we don't take, um, you know, when you look around the world today, you know, um, you know, we don't think in terms of Jew and Gentile because, at least in the Western world where we live, we're all Gentiles. Mm-hmm. But we do, we do split people up demographically, in other ways, right? Um, in in our country, in particular, you know, there there always seems to be a discussion about race,
0: racially, socially, uh, economic, uh, sexually, economically, economically, economically every, right? Wherever they can insert it, honestly, right? there really <laughs>
2: is, and and it's it's, you know, I think one of the the big messages for the American Christian, um, or or maybe a reminder, um, a reminder is that the gospel is for everybody. It breaks through all those barriers. It doesn't, because to them, you know, the, um, you know, the other side of like, what to us, the other side of the political aisle is to them, you know, would have been going to the Gentiles, right? Like, do I really go, go to them, go to the people, go to the group of people that annoy you right like i guess that's another way of saying with matthew go to the group of people that annoy you go to the group of people you disagree with go to those
0: that hurt you maybe go to those that
2: hurt you go to those those people um that may hate you right like he's saying is that the that if god didn't care about them he would not have given it their way um and also create a humility in ourselves that um while you may be absolutely convicted of your position or how right you feel you may be. um, You know, if, if, for example, if, if Catholicism is so 100% wrong, then how did he use it for nearly 1500 years by itself to, to usher in the golden age of Christianity and really uh, set the foundation, the roots of the faith we have today, Mm -hmm. even as Protestants. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I certainly don't agree with everything that, a lot of the practices are um you know a lot of the some of the theology within the catholic church but
1: but he still uh, used that of course and he still he still is and that's my point you can
2: make
0: that argument in so many different ways too it's like look at we, we were talking last week about the pharisees it's like the pharisees were the religious leaders the pharisees weren't weren't evil they weren't doing everything right but they had the law and they used the law as a foundation and 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 did some they were trying. things. But they were they were trying. And they were spreading the faith. They were uh holding this holding that standard. Like they
2: they, they, they had lost sight of what the point of the law was. Yeah. Right. And I think that's a good point to us is that we can lose sight of what the point of the gospel is. Um and and one of the you know points Matthew's making, I think that when you read the star story, um we should be reminded of how universal um, that gospel is to a God who's really big. Um, we tend to get very just, you know, in ourselves and in and, and what we, um, we, we like to stay to our own circles. We like to stay within our own bubbles and um, God's bigger than our bubble, you know? So um, I think it's great, you know, Again, I don't hold a sensational view. I think um, often sensationalism can replace the message. We, we make, when we make something sensational, then the sensationalism becomes the message where sometimes if you remove some of the sensationalism, you know, in this kind of to me, the, the historical context, the astrological context to the Hellenistic um, astrology view is one where it does remove this, you know some of the, the big flashy sensationalism, even though it's still sensational in my view, but it helps you focus on the the ultimate message of what you know Matthew's trying to communicate, which is um, the universal um, nature of the gospel. So,
1: yeah, a Thank lot you. of good points. Um, right. <laughs> I learned I learned quite a bit. Like I didn't realize that the wise men were gentiles. I always assumed that the North Star was more of a spiritual, like a sign of God. Um, so you, you kind of
2: held a supernatural view of that, too?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it is
2: of God, right? He he commanded it. Um, It just wasn't like...
1: It wasn't held in, like, it wasn't that magic. Jewish... It, it yeah, wasn't like... Um,
2: it was. Yeah, it wasn't just like this, uh, in my view, right? I'm not I'm trying to make an affirmative statement, because just in my view, it wasn't like he created this big ball of gas just for that time that then just dissipated. Randomly, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I think which is from the foundations of the world, and that and the scripture says this from the foundations of the world, um, this had all been planned out, and at the very design and the foundation, God said it, he, he had an election of place, of people, and time. And at this time, He said, I'm going, and He through His omniscience and um, everything that He knows, He set it perfectly to where that planet, you know, far, far away, right, that they didn't even know was a planet, is going to be placed in a way in relation to the moon, in relation to all the other planets, in relation to this one region on planet Earth, using the belief that he knew they would have at that time to communicate the birth of this really big event, which is the birth of Jesus. So, Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and we see that over and over in the Bible, just um, God using, like, all sorts of people.
0: To do his will. All right, Ryan. So I truly appreciate uh, this teaching that you gave us today, and uh, Selena, thank you for joining us and uh, being one of the hosts on here as well. And I always appreciate your input. So we're gonna we're gonna close this up today, um, and uh, I really just appreciate all of you all listening in. And we hope to see you again next week.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Real Bible Stories. Be sure to like share, and subscribe to be notified each week when we upload new episodes. Real Bible Stories is produced in part by Palms Church in 29 Palms, California. If you would like more information or want to check out archived sermons and Bible studies, please check out the church website at palmsbaptistchurch.com or check them out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Real Bible Stories can be found wherever podcasts are found. Thank you again, and we will see you next week.